Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob. We've got a full house this week. I'm joined by Dave, Nick, and producer JL. John Luke Shapiro is here as well. And it is a post-mortem edition of Live from the Blue Seats as we close the book uh, on and analyze the 2022-23 New York Rangers season a lot earlier than I think we expected to do so. There will be no shortage of things to talk about on this week's show. Obviously, we're going to break down the last few games of the first round exit to the Devils. We'll talk about some of the comments we heard on breakup day. Obviously, the speculation about a potential coaching change. And of course, we'll get to uh, all the questions that that you all sent in as well. So, guys, great to be with you all. Uh, Nick, welcome back. Dave, haven't talked to you in a little bit. Um, uh, JL, of course, always a pleasure. Dave, let's start with you. How are you feeling emotionally here? We're recording about 48 hours after the Rangers season ended. Everyone will be listening to this on Thursday morning uh, or Thursday sometime later in the week. So, you know, we're, we're two, three, four days after uh, a really difficult ending to what, what we all felt would be a promising season. How, how are you emotionally? You know, interestingly enough, I'm fine. If they lost in heartbreaking fashion, I'd be... I'd have a different answer to that, but they were just lazy assholes for the last four games of the series. So I'm like, you know what? If you guys don't give a shit, I don't give a shit. So I'm good. Nick, how about yourself? Where, where did you end up on the uh, grief spectrum here? Quite frankly, I am pretty pissed off still. This one, you know, it was funny. I, I texted one of my friends during the game and I just, I had said to him, like, this loss is going to hit different. It's just, it's going to feel different. You know, if they would have went out like they did in game three and lost on a coin flip and, you know, overtime or double overtime, I can swallow that. I can deal with that because, you know what, I've seen them lose series before. I'll see them lose series again. That doesn't bother me. When you go out and you look like you don't give a shit, that's going to stick with me for a while. So I, I'm still pretty pissed off. How about you, JL? <sighs> I am not well. Uh, and as you could tell, the Rangers have caused me to get hiccups. Um, <laughs> I You can keep it brief if needed. I'm sure. No, no, listen, no, I'll do the best I can. As long as possible. Drag this out as long as possible. This is great. I, I, you know what? Being a really bad co- oh, oh, there you go. Being a really bad <laughs> being a really bad comic, I will. Um I am very upset. Uh I, you get fed all of this stuff, you know, oh, we're bringing Kane and Tarasenko and, you know, uh, the fourth line is killing it. And it's, it's just, you get fed this. And then this is the effort that they put out. Why would we go out out of this trouble to just flame out like that? And like, like you guys, oh, like you guys said, um, if they had been lost on a coin flip or at least even had half the effort that they could have put in, it would have, it would have been better. I am very upset. Devils, Devils fans are relentless and I give them credit, but they're very annoying. I'm very upset. Like I can elaborate more on that later, later. See, I don't, 
I don't get how you guys and and I, I mean that uh, UJL, a few of the other guys in Blue Seat Blogs, I know across Twitter. I'm pretty good at avoiding that stuff, and I don't like go out of my way to like block a bunch of Devils fans. I I kind of think you have to not seek it out, and you know people are like sending me jet what Jack Hughes said, and I'm like guys, like don't look at that. Why are you looking at this? Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm cutting it off. Um, Trust anyway, me, I don't seek it out. So yeah, find no, me. I know it. Yeah, but yeah, I I don't know. I've I've done a good job laying in the weeds. I guess I'm kind of more with you, Dave. Where and I think we talked about this last week, so I won't rehash it. I knew they were cooked after game four. And I don't, I'm not an I told you so guy. You all know that. As a matter of fact, I was very wrong about some things, which we'll get into later in this show. But as much as I tried to get my optimism back up and my energy back up, and, and I tried to keep the faith that they could turn it around and play better, game four to me was a turning point and was really a very early nail in the coffin for this team. I give them no credit for game six, by the way. I really don't. I thought they played a bad game. They got they got destroyed in the first period. They were lucky to score off of Kreider's shin to make it 1-1. They were lucky that Schmid whiffs on a couple of medium range wrist shots in the in the in the second period. Uh they were they were again under siege in the third. Uh, you know, the goals that they scored were counterattacking goals. That was not a good game. And Gerard Gallant did not have an answer for the Devils when they actually adjusted and turned turned up their desperation. And I was ready for them to go out, whether it was in game six or game seven. So uh, I'm resigned to the result. And I don't think they were deserving of, of winning. They were not, they didn't deserve to win the series. I don't think they were a championship team. And I think changes need to be made. So um, I do want to spend just a few minutes uh, with you guys on what did go wrong. Right. So I just sort of pointed to game four. I think that's a very obvious turning point, but, you know, Dave, I guess we'll just continue in the, the round table here, although we can switch up the order eventually. But what I mean, aside from effort, which, look, I think effort's a two. It's a double edged sword in the sense that teams look lazy when they're not organized. Right. You look slow when you're when you're overthinking. This is something we talked about earlier this year, Dave, when when they first hit the rut, which I think really kind of fucked this whole season, if I'm being honest. And, and that's, again, something I want to talk about a little bit later. But I think this was not only a lack of effort at certain times, but this was a team that was not prepared for that type of speed, even though they knew it was coming. Um, do you really think it was just effort or do you think this was lack of tactics, preparation, bad coaching as well? So this was something that was brought up. I want to say a month or two ago about the Rangers zone exits. And mm-hmm. I did a breakdown of one of my Patreon posts about it. Basically, the Rangers have one guy on the blue line that can move the puck well, and it's Adam Fox. Even Keandre Miller at his best is not a great puck mover out of the zone. It's not necessarily about breakouts. It's just the way they get across their own blue line is awful. Mm-hmm. We've seen this for 10, 12 years now with this stupid fucking chip off the glass and it yep. goes right to an opposing. That's a turnover. It doesn't get documented as a turnover. It's a fucking turnover. And they commit 50 a game at least. When you can't move the puck out of your own zone, a team like the Devils will destroy you. They can beat the Canes because the Canes are much slower. The Devils use the speed, and unfortunately for the Rangers, that was a terrible matchup because 
you get overwhelmed in your own zone. And when you can't even move the puck out when nobody's on your ass, when you got two guys after you and all passing lanes are clogged up, you're not going to be able to move the puck. So that's on Gallant because he actively chose to not have another puck mover on the blue line. He actively chose this. He could have said, no, I don't want Mikola. I want somebody to move the puck. Let's at least try Zach Jones again for another couple of games, see if that works. If not, get me somebody to move the puck up the ice. He actively said, I don't want anybody that can, that's going to risk the third pair. I want low event, quote-unquote, defensively sound hockey, and this is the end result. You need guys that can move the puck. It's not 1990 anymore, 1995 anymore. Yeah, and being defensively sound is fine, but all you play is defense at a certain point. And, you know, look, uh, well, Nick, I want to ask you, what did, what did you think? What do you think sunk this team? And and again, was it just effort or was there something else you saw watching these games that, you know, that led to the loss? Well, what was the key factor? What was the most important, I guess, biggest contributor, contributing factor to, to, the, to the seven game loss? So it's funny for me. I, I, I look at this and I say this is not just, you know, Galat said today that, oh, this was, we're getting judged off of a week of bad hockey. I don't see it. I see it differently. I, I, I look, the, the signs were there. The red flags were there back in November. And Rob and Dave, you guys have been following me long enough. I, I'm sure you can remember earlier in the season, after the Detroit game, when the Rangers really went into the skid and Gallant started playing with the lineup and, you know, taking out Jones and moving in Hayek and playing Harper and just, you know, playing playing with everything. I started saying it then that this was not a roster, this was not a team that was built to go all the way and that Gallant was showing himself that he needed to go at this point because the way they were playing, all the stuff you saw in the Devil Series is the same stuff we saw back in November. It was the it, – it's almost like – it was like watching the same team that was up 3 nothing against Edmonton in the third period just forget how to play hockey and give up four straight. I, I And the worst thing was I was actually in the building for that Edmonton game. And watching this series against the Devils – it, it honestly just felt like that game, but just stretched out. Yeah. It was the same mistakes. It was the same no killer instinct, a lack of finish, just a, a lack of, I almost want to say want, but I, I really don't want to put that on everybody. But it's just like all the issues that we're, we're going to talk about, not being able to move the puck, not being good in our own zone. I mean, when Lingren went out, it all we saw it again. This team had issues with zone exits. And Ryan Lingren may not be the most effective puck mover, but he does make subtle little plays, whether it's an easier pass along the boards or he'll go up the middle, which you're not supposed to do. But if the, if the lane is there, you can move the puck out through the middle of the ice. But it, it, it's just I, I everything that we saw – I feel like it was there for the whole year and people forgot about it after Truba threw his helmet against the Blackhawks. But it, everything reared its ugly head at the worst time of the year. Yeah. Uh, Dave, it's funny. I, I stumbled upon 
you know how on the blog it'll link to some older related articles and i think it's basically i must be based on keywords or similar topics or whatever i have no I, idea how that works I, quite me honestly either. but you know what <laughs> it was very interesting how this worked out I, I clicked on the article and it was basically after eight or nine games of the year you wrote a post that said something to the effect of the rangers are not in trouble yet and it was through again eight or nine games and you you posted their their stats their expected goals were very good it was like 2.934 per 60 and 2.16 against per 60 i mean this was this was ju- end of october so it was just before the the line in the sand game that that nick mentioned that we have harped on on this podcast that rob luker has identified gerard gallant changed this entire season against in the middle of that Detroit game when he, when he messed with the lines. And I think he threw the whole rhythm of the season off. He made, that was the first seed of doubt for this, for the players. I think they went into, I think they had a great year last year in terms of like, you know, uh, surprising some people and getting better as the year went on. Right. And then um, obviously making the run in the playoffs until they just ran out of gas, but that was max effort for, for, for the whole season, really from the whole team. And it was admirable and it was fun to watch. And then they went into this season feeling good and feeling like they were true contenders. And that, that was borne out over the first month of the season. They were a legitimately good team with that was getting bad results because look, Igor had a slow start and their shooting percentages were, were well below what you'd expect of, of such a talented team. So rather than just reinforce the positive and let things self-correct over the course of a long season, Gallant tinkered and then continued tinkering. And I think crucially never went back to what was working. And never reinstilled the confidence that the group had when the season started. Because remember, the first two games of the year, they trashed the Lightning, they trashed the Wild. They trashed the defending Eastern Conference champions, and it was not a close game, even though I think the final score was 3-1 to one or whatever. And then they beat Minnesota 7-3 to three on the road. And I remember saying to everybody uh, who, who would listen that this looks like a team that could go all the way. They, had, they, they were focused, intense, mm-hmm. and that was gone a month later. And that's on the coach. Uh, and again, if you look at it, um, and I actually did a little bit of research before the pod, so I'll go over these numbers now. Um, if you compare the, the the progression of last season, where they definitely had a slow start and they were very much the Igor show in order to get their wins the first couple of months of the year, but they ended up obviously being a a uh, a worthy Eastern Conference final you know team that makes a worthy Eastern Conference final appearance. If you compare that to the way this season went, it's it's really stark, right? So I just picked the date of February 1st to, to pull these numbers from Natural Stat Trick. Last year, from February 1st through the end of the year, the Rangers played 36 games. Uh, these are all five-on-five course, you know, five-on-five score and venue adjusted numbers from Natural Stat Trick if you want to check them. Uh, their Corsi, th- that, that part of last year, the last 36 games, 50.82. That was 13th in the league. Their expected goals for percentage. 49.51, 17th in the league. High danger chances for 49.86%, 15th in the league. PDO, 1.007. So that we're not really being driven by super inflated shooting or goaltending. This year, uh, they played 33 games from the February 1st through the end of the year. They went 28-5, and five, so they had a good record. Uh, their core seat, 47.85, 19th in the league. Expected goals, 48.25, 20th in the league. By the way, I made a note. Philly was one spot ahead of them in terms of expected goals percentage over that same time time frame. High danger chances for 48.04%. That was 22nd in the league, one spot below San Jose. 
another shit team. Uh, PDO 1.021, much higher than the previous year's PDO. That was fourth in the league. That is the reason they won 20 of those final 33 games. This team was a paper tiger for 50 games. And that was after, uh, and those numbers obviously include after the additions of Tarasenko, Kane, Mikola, and all that stuff. So whereas last year, their team progressed throughout the year and they added the right pieces that fit Vetrano, Kopp, Mott, we, we know all that. This team started well, took a dip in November, never recovered, added talent, and got worse. Just all I'll say is losing in the first round was not surprising. So, uh, you know, I, I think all those things you called out, Nick, they all, as you said, the first round series was a microcosm, right? I mean, if you look at it, it almost follows the exact same pattern. They start really well. They looked really connected and together and, and played two really professional road playoff games. And then it all collapsed the second that Gerard Galland had to actually put a coaching hat on and figure something out, figure some things out. So JL, I'll come to you and hopefully the hiccups have passed by now. <laughs> Are you moving yeah. on from Gerard Galland? Let's just go right to the coaching question. Cause that's the one that's on everybody's mind. Yes. And the reason why I say that falls into the point that I was going to make, you know, yes, the players didn't execute. That's perfectly, that that's perfectly understandable to a degree to kind of put things together. The players didn't execute, but also in the same token, why is it that every time the Rangers need to make adjustments, they don't clearly they, they, they stick to the same formula and, they just couldn't get around the defense of the Devils or at least the neutral zone pressure that the Devils provided in the series. All the Devils did was skate backwards and just clog up the neutral zone, and the Rangers didn't have a solution for it. And part of that falls on the players. A lot of that also falls on the coach. You know, uh, it's been said that Gallant's not an X's and O's guy, so then what is he good for? You got The head coach has to try and get the best out of his players. And whether or not it's the talent that they put together or it's the coaching not getting the best out of their talent. There's a, there's a disconnect and a failure between coach and player. And then from player or management to coach, there shouldn't be a reason why your $11 million top line left wing cannot do anything in the playoffs. There has to be something else that's going on outside of just not playing well. I can understand to a degree that, okay, well, you know, it's a different style, this and that and the fourth, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't execute, fine. But for two years in a row, the guy does absolutely nothing, even when the Rangers were decent in the playoffs last year. Do I fire Gallant? Yes, I do. Because this this team has a lot of talent on it. Could they supplement it? Absolutely, especially after this series. You know, you could add a little more sandpaper up front, get another puck-moving defenseman like you alluded to, Dave, just bring up Zach Jones. And then maybe find somebody that can be like a character guy in the room to kind of lift everybody up. Say what you want about Ryan Reeves. Things definitely didn't, things were a bit off after they traded him. There wasn't that cohesion amongst the players anymore in that regard. And you could tell things were a bit off. And this team needs a coach that's kind of a, you know, a tough guy, a tougher guy, so to speak, that can get the best out of his players. Galant's not. The answer, I mean, he's been able to, you know, bring the team up a little bit more, but it's time to bring in someone who has a proven track record and can actually get the best out of this crew because I refuse to say that this, like, people are going online. I understand it's very emotional. People are going online saying, oh, they need to blow this team up. No, they don't. 
This is one of the youngest rosters in the league. There's still a lot of talent on here. You just have to supplement it, make the right moves, and have the right coach. So do I move on from Gallant? Yes, I do. I think the Rangers dropped the ball. Uh, as much as I like Patrick Kane, it, it's obvious that he wasn't a fit. Tarasenko fit a little bit better. Um, and it just, it really was just a massive failure all around. Like, uh, I can't even begin to describe my disappointment. Yeah. Well, so, Gallant was never an X's and O's guy. So, uh, Shana Goldman pointed this out, um, that I didn't realize she wrote this until she just put this out there. Um, I want to say two days ago, last year, when two years ago, when the Rangers hired Gallant, they, she put out an article basically saying, He's going to manage the personalities, and he's pretty good at that. You got to give him credit there, especially the way he managed the injuries last year. I keep going back to the hiding the Goodrow return because that really mm-hmm. gave the Rangers a boost. I keep going back to that. He's good there. But if you're good there and you are awful at X's and O's and in-game adjustments, then hire assistants that fill out your weaknesses. I am okay with Galant as the head coach if – they have an Andrew Brunette or somebody else that can actually give them and dictate defensive zone strategies, zone exits, breakouts, neutral zone play, forechecking, where to go and when. There mm-hmm. are certain guys that don't necessarily need that. But somebody like, and Rob, you put this in our group chat, Vinny Trocek needs something like that. All three of the kids need that. The fourth mm-hmm. line needs that. Any defenseman not named Adam Fox needs that. They need the guidance on where to go within the structure and let the true elite guys just wing it. They don't yeah, have and that. It, and even that happens within. I mean, the other thing is, I, I agree with you 100%, Dave. And so I think I think the man management fell off a little bit this year as, as the team lost confidence. And I think some of the comments we heard out of breakup day where the players were asked point blank about, you know, Hey, how's your relationship with with coach Gallant? And, you know, what do you have to say about playing for him? And there were not very many ringing endorsements. I mean, Jacob Truba had the pregnant pause of pregnant pauses when he was asked that question and he's a captain (laughs) of the team. So, you know, that says a lot to me. And I think a lot of them went into Chris jury and said he lost the room and Guys stopped listening and we knew he didn't have an answer. So, so why would we listen to him? Um, so I think the man management fell off, but I agree with you, Dave, the other thing, and this is going to sound like a very typical sort of hot take talking head sports talk platitude. But the other thing is that this team never had an identity. And when you are asked on your first day as head coach, which Gerard Glant was asked this, what's the identity of the New York Rangers when they're coached by you? And your answer is we're going to be the hardest working team in the league. That is not an identity. That is this, that is just something that every head coach says that does not make you any different than any other team. And even if you'd say, well, he's not going to come out and tell you what the plan, I, he doesn't really have a plan. I think Gallant does wing it to a certain extent. He, he does the thing that I think we saw AV do, which he kind of uses the first 20, 25 games of the year to get a feel for his team. He does a lot of tinkering. Then he tries to settle on something by around, you know, the J- January 1st. And that's when you really get serious uh, about, you know, about how you're moving forward and and making a run and all that. But this team just does not have an identity. I mean, look, you look at the teams that are left in the playoffs, the devil's identity, speed, the Kraken identity, speed, the hurricanes identity, heavy forecheck, even Boston who, who lost in seven games, 
you know, tight defensive structured hockey, right? Making life easy on the goalie, making the most of your scoring chances, but generally controlling the pace of the game. You know, Tampa was a heavy four checking team with, with top end talent layered over the top of it. I think that's what the Rangers should be, but I don't think Gerard Gallant is the coach that can put that identity and that attitude and that system in place. So to your point, Dave, like, yes, you need great assistance, but those assistants need guidance to say, okay, you know, basically Lindy Ruff told Andrew Burnett, we're going to be a fast team. Design me a system that gets the most out of a fast team. And you get the devils who are a top three offensive team all year. So, um, you know, uh, let me throw this out there. I'll start with you, Nick, since we haven't heard from you in a bit. If you're moving on from Gallant, do you have a name? And who is that name? What is that name? Who is that person? That, see, that's a tough one because when you look at the Rangers and you look at this organization, you look how they're, you know, who they're owned by and what upper management is. It's very, you know, the way that upper management wants to go, which is a way that I disagree with. The smart way would be getting an Andrew Burnett from New Jersey because that would be a guy you saw what he did with Florida, how he handled Florida through and navigated them through really tough water. When they were having a great season, they lose their head coach, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. He came in, calmed things down. And got them still, you know, to be the best team in the league. They got now, better. They, just, they got better on They, Sorry, I didn't mean to they did. No, it's okay. Like they, they did get better. You know, they they had a difficult end against Tampa Bay, but you know that was just one of those instances where Tampa Bay has championship pedigree, which I know some people don't put stock in, but it's a real thing. And Tampa Bay is one of those teams that you just don't bet against. When they've been through the battles that they've been through, they just know how to win and gut situations out. So that was a real learning experience for Florida. And I think it did their key pieces a lot of good to go through what they did last year. And that helped them overcome Boston this year. But that would be the guy that I would target. And then option B would be Daryl Sutter. And But as much as I, I hate this, because I'm so conflicted about this because it's just I am not endorsing this move. I don't want this move, but this is what my gut is telling me because, you know, I've been a fan of this team for so long and I just know how they operate. I just get this unbelievably annoying, nagging feeling that Joel Quinville is going to be the next head coach. And, 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 the, and one, of the, one of the biggest issues I have with this is that if the Kyle Beach scenario never happened, and it never should have happened, but if Joel Quinville actually did the right thing, we would all be praising him. And I think we'd all unanimously want him as the next Ranger head coach. Because yes. as a hockey coach, he is unquestionably, when he's in the league, the best head coach in the league. So it, it, it's just it, – but he, he, he put winning above a human life, and that is – so unbelievably wrong and will forever be wrong and he should never coach again but i just have this very annoying feeling because the nhl never does anything the right way they will reinstate him and that's a name that dolan will pressure jury big name three-time cup champion i want him it, it just annoys the hell out of me yeah it seems to me that now, look, they let Gerard Gallant speak today at breakup day. And, and you know, Larry Brooks was very quick to point out that oftentimes if a head coach is going to be shown the door, 
he's not given that privilege. Um, Gallant spoke at breakup day and there, there was kind of this sense that they will stay with him. Now he may be on a very short leash. I don't think he survives even the November skid that we saw. Right. I mean, things got really deep in December, but they, they obviously really scuffled starting in November and it was really an extended five, six week stretch of, uh, of pretty bad, pretty bad hockey. Um, the I first three game losing streak. Yeah, first three I, game I losing streak. He's done. Exactly. He's out. Right. So, so I think that that there's a good chance that that is what we're walking into next season. I think the only, I get the sense that the only uh, other option is just as you said, Nick, that Joel Quenville, if the league reinstates him, the Rangers will make the move. So, uh, now, Dave, I don't know if you, JL, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. Uh, so we let's stick with Quinville first. I do want to go back, of course, to Daryl Sutter just for a couple minutes because, man, do we have a time on Twitter today with that? But David, that any, was what fun. Are you, what? Are you, yeah, thanks for R.I.P. My mentions. Obviously, once you <laughs> quote tweeted that, my God, I don't know how you deal with that every day. Uh, oh, I, I told you, I mute my res- I yes. mute my mentions from people. I should have muted that conversation. I should have yeah. muted the conversation immediately. Now, uh, there's a yeah, setting in Twitter where you can just mute anything from people that you don't follow. So I have to go into a tweet in order to find the replies from people that I don't follow. So that's, that's how I stay sane. And regarding Quenville, Nick said everything that needs to be said. He's, you think it might happen? Do you get this? I think, I think it will happen. I think I put this out yesterday. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to reinstate Quenville and Drury the, the ink's not even going to be dry on the paperwork that reinstates yep. Quenville before he's hired. Like, Gallant will be gone three minutes later, and Quenville will be hired within three hours. Like, they'll have the contract all set already. It, it's like the first day of free agency when somebody signs a very complex $95 million contract. That's what Quenville's going to have. He's going to have a very complex contract already signed already. It's going to happen. I'm, I've resigned myself to it, and yeah. I fucking hate it. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he... Yeah, well, I mean, Nick, really well said, and I agree. I don't think that much more needs to be said there. Uh, and and I, I kind of want to put this in the category of, you know, look, we're a, we're a group of fans that we, we cover the Rangers. We talk about it on a podcast. Let's leave that scenario for when it happens or if and when it happens to talk about it because not worth exploring right now. Look, I brought up Daryl Sutter. I brought up Daryl Sutter to anybody who will listen. And... It's sort of half serious, but it's also half thought experiment because look, I know what happened in Calgary, right? I follow the National Hockey League. I'm not super engaged with the Calgary Flames and what goes on behind the scenes there, but I know that it was essentially a mutiny in the locker room. Now, it sounds like there was a huge amount of dissension among the ranks of the players as well. So like player versus player type of intra locker room fighting, right? So not just between players and coaches. So that whole thing was a nightmare to begin with. But I know what, what Daryl Sutter did. I know what Daryl Sutter is, all right? And I understand the drawbacks. But there were an awful lot of people who replied to that tweet, the hundreds of them, however many it was, that are... That was a lot. Yeah, I, I that are in the category of very smart fans who know the game, who who look at the same, you know, at least public model analytics that I do. And I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated that people who are clamoring for this team to get better at five on five, which is a necessity. This team has to get better at five on five because I'm telling you right now, guys, if it is December or January next year and we're looking at another 
20th, 21st, 22nd ranked in the league in terms of expected goals in that high. F- I'm telling you, they're not a contender. They are paper tigers and, and we can be negative towards the folks on Twitter. All we want that, that, you know, that will sort of be the Debbie downers after a win where, you know, look, you're going to have wins where your goalie steals games, but the Rangers spent 60% of this season in the defensive zone. Just think of it that way. At five on five, the Rangers spent roughly 60% of this season in the defensive zone. That is not how you win Stanley Cups. So I am begging this team for the first time in a decade to be at least competent five on five. And the only coach I see out there that is available, and now available is a keyword because Mike Sullivan falls in this category as well, but he is employed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. The only available coach that guarantees, almost guarantees, nothing's guaranteed, but gives you a chance of being not only a good, but great five on five team is Daryl Sutter. Look at the metrics from his Kings years. Look at the metrics of the Calgary flames this year, even though they missed the playoffs top five in Corsi top five in expected goals. They're more of a shutdown team. It's more of a defensive style, but they overwhelm you with shots on goal. They, they, I mean, I, if you looked at even just go back and look at some of the box scores of Calgary flames games this year, games that they lost in overtime three to two, they had like 48 shots. The opponent had like 22. Yeah. They, this is what they the were Rangers very unlucky. Needed. They were very they, unlucky and they had no goaltending. Markstrom went in the tank. They lost every overtime and shootout game. Uh, look, I, I know he's an asshole, but I've also said this again, half jokingly, half seriously. I think this team might need an asshole. I think they did not take this season seriously enough. I think it was an exercise in waiting for the playoffs to come. And I think Gerard Gallant was powerless to get their attention once he fucked everything up in November. So it ended up being a, we're all going to coast at 75%. We're going to, we're going to play the the waiting game for Patrick Kane. And we're going to, we are in theory a contender, but we are never in practice a contender. The Rangers were always an idea this year. They were never actually a good hockey team. And that I think is, my biggest source of disappointment because this was such a year of hope and opportunity. Right. And after, after being so proud of them last year, thinking they could take that next step, it really did turn into a shit show. And it's, it's not a year that I will look fondly back on. I think the only year that I feel less good about in recent memory is 2016. And this team reminds me an awful lot of the 2016 team in hindsight. So um, JL, do you have any thoughts on coaches? Well, Nick, you touched on the Quenville situation very eloquently, and I agree with everything that you said. In a perfect world where the Kyle Beach situation doesn't happen and shouldn't have happened, you know, we'd be, you know, chomping at the bit to bring him aboard. Do and I also have that same sort of really bad gut feeling that that's the direction they're going to go. I mean, it's so bad. I want Gallant fired, but I'd rather keep him over Quenville. Um, Mike Sullivan is my top choice, even though he is employed. Um, I think he is the perfect fit for this team. He does resemble this team does resemble a lot of his Penguins teams to mm-hmm. a degree. Agreed. And he he knows the organization. He knows he knows Dolan. He knows Sather mm-hmm. to a degree. I'm sure he has some relationship with Chris Joy with Team USA. And you know, he, he's basically like a Tortorella light. He knows how to get the best of his players, but it doesn't seem like outside of if you're like Phil Kessel, uh, none of the pens really disliked him and they've had numerous success and he's an X's and O's guy too. And mm-hmm. he's always been very good at that. Very good defensive coach, very good X's and O's guy. And I'm in the camp of give the penguins a draft pick or whatever type of compensation you want. 
Let Fenway Sports Group find a new guy. Let them start fresh with whomever they bring in. And let's bring Sully back home. Why not? They should have hired him in the first place after they fired Tortorella back in 2014. You know, um, the Daryl Sutter one I'm very tentative on, but I do agree with it. This, t- uh, this team is very bad five on five. I mean, I'm not going to get into the fancy stats. You just said it all, really. But like you said, if there's one thing this team needs is a kick in the butt. I cannot stand going to Madison Square Garden. And this is coming from a consumer. You go to Madison Square Garden, you pay an exorbitant amount of money just to get in, at least you know for certain games, and then they lay an egg. You, really? I'll tell you something about Daryl Sutter's Flames. The game they played after the All-Star break, which ended in Lafreniere's overtime winner, Mm-hmm. The Flames were flying. I'm talking about matching the Rangers, you know, tit for tat, up and down, left and right. That was a very, very good game. It was a great game. Now, it's probably the best it, game of the year. Absolutely. It was. So, you know, that was a Daryl Sutter team. He had those guys play hard, like one punch, and they came right back. That's what yeah. this team needs. That's what they need. They need a guy like that. I, and, and and like you, I saw that. That I was going to reply to it, but I decided not to because it was like 78 replies to it. So I said, no, you know, um, but everyone was saying no. Well, who else? About are you 80%. Bring? Yeah. Yeah. Who else are you going to bring in? Let's let's be real here. Come on. Let's be real here. No coach well, is going to be thing. perfect. You know, no yeah. coach is going to be perfect. You can't. Every coach is going to have a flaw. Obviously, we know Gallant has his flaws. The roster, conf- the roster construction is really not suited for Gallant anymore unless he really makes adjustments. But there's not going to be a perfect coach. John Tortorella is not a perfect coach. Scotty Bowman wasn't a perfect coach, for goodness sake. A lot of his players hated him. He was pretty close, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's probably the only one, really. Uh, Larry Robinson wasn't a perfect coach. But all those guys won. Daryl Sutter is a winner. And if they're not going to get Mike Sullivan, Daryl Sutter is the way to go. Maybe that's what Panera needs. Maybe the reason why Joel Quenville was so key to unlocking Artemi Panarin was that maybe he was a jerk to him. I love Panarin. I do. Great regular season player. But he needs someone to light a fire under his butt. I I understand his play style. It doesn't matter. He has the skill. He's not some bum they found off the street. And if this means that the coach is going to get these guys playing, that's what we need. It's annoying when I like Jack Hughes is a very good player. I will concede that he is a very talented player. But if there's one thing that the Rangers had the advantage on was size. And for many points in the series, even in the games that they won, what did they do? They knocked him over. They were able Mm -hmm. to throw him off. That's the way to stop him. Tell the guys to do that. Light a fire under them. Tell them, don't let this little rat run around the ice and embarrass you on your home ice, taunting to the fans and getting in everybody's faces. Just get into his face, smush him, throw him around, and make them pay. Daryl Sutter can do that. Mike Sullivan can do it. And that's what this team needs. You Ooh. know who else can probably do that? Peter LaViolette. Yeah. That's a good one. 
That's just, a good. I like that one. That, that's he just it. That's chokes going the life out of teams offensively. I mean, I've looked at his yeah, charts. All yeah, his teams suck offensively. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's the the way Ruff's teams usually are horrible defensively until yes. this year. Uh, Laviolette's teams just don't produce offense, but it's going to be hard for them not to produce offense given. I'd say 99% of this roster is going to be back next year, despite mm-hmm. what everybody else thinks. They're not trading most of these guys. So No, they're sticking with them. Panarin's not getting traded yeah. either, Adam. Well, and, yeah. you know, look, I want to I wanna call back to something, Nick, you said last week. I think I asked you, hey, look, if they go out, what do you do? I don't know. I don't know if that was the exact question. But you said you'd keep it together. I mean, and and I think it's it's always good to have some perspective. Look, we're all disappointed, angry, frustrated, lots of negative emotions about this team in this moment and about this season as a whole. But if you look at the way teams progress towards championships, it is a very common refrain. How many times did the Lightning lose in various stages, including missing the playoffs once or twice before they won their first cup in, in 2020? Mm-hmm. The Colorado Avalanche went through a bunch of tough losses. The 90s Rangers, before they won it in 94, again, President's Trophy in 92, but losing in the first round. Second round, excuse me, missing the playoffs in 92-93, then winning the cup in 93-94. These things happen. You know, it's not linear. Everyone who expected them to, like, quote-unquote, take the next step and just sort of took it for granted that they would at least get back to Eastern Conference Final, that was a bit foolish. And I think, frankly, some of the players and probably the coach believe that would be the case, too. There was a whole there's a sense all year that there was like their birthright to get into the playoffs and at least win around. And clearly that was not the case. And that and that necessitates some recalibration now. And but as you said, Dave, 99 90 percent of the roster is going to be back. The coach is probably going to be back because I think, look, I, I again, the, the whole Sutter thing. And, you know, I appreciate you guys agreeing with me because I totally think that. I totally think that uh, it would be a horrible idea to bring him, uh, you know, in on one hand. He, the guy's a total jerk. He he completely alienated uh, his all of his players. There's, you know, there's a sense that, um, you know, he, he coaches like him don't work with the modern athlete anymore because of things have just changed. They don't respond to that sort of disciplinarian approach anymore, whatever it may be. But, you know, there just aren't that many options out there. I'm not interested in Peter Laviolette. I'm I'm really not interested and. You know, I'm not interested in any of the other retreads. I think Sutter is the only guy pre- who's previously coached that I would be I would be interested in, and, and obviously that comes with a lot of uh, trepidation. Anyway, um, am I the only one who like thinks that he's perfect. not getting fired? By the way, Gallant? Gallant? No, yeah. I don't think he's getting fired either. I'm like fifty-fifty. I was much more certain of it uh, up until this afternoon. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't I'm mean to cut you I'm off sh- there, Rob. Sorry. I'm still on the fence about it. I I I think him speaking kind of gives him the edge that he'll be back. But I also go back to Tortorella speaking on breakup day and then still getting the axe. So it's like, uh, but I, I think a lot of it just goes back to, I think their target is Quinville, and it, it, they're waiting for the league to say, okay, he'll be back. You know, we're reinstating him. Oh, okay, good. Gerard, here's your walking papers. Like, you know, if, if the league decides to reinstate Quinville in August, I could 100% see them firing Gallant in August and, and, and naming Quinville that coach. It's, it's, that, to me, is just – that's their guy. So, yeah. while we were doing all this, Arthur Staple just put something out on The Athletic. It's confirmed now the Game 4 closed-door 
heated argument that was rumored, it's confirmed this was between Drury and Gallant. Wow. Ooh. Sounds so about right. That may change everything. <laughs> I think that changes what I just said. I didn't think he was going to unless some unless certain things panned out, like uh, Quenville getting reinstated, for example. But there's a reason why Galank lasts for two years on every team now. See, I, but I want to know. I I wonder what was that argument about? Because if you go back to what Galant said after Game Seven, talking about you know it's great to have talent, but I want four checkers, and you know I know that that Rob was pissed off at that because you know. You, just saying you want four checkers is really a piss poor excuse as a head coach. Yes. You can teach guys how to check Absolutely. and you, you know, you put that in place, but I, I, I took that as soon as I heard it, I said, okay, he's mad at Drury for not constructing the roster to what he wanted, which lends me to believe he wanted no part of Patrick. Keaton. I think well, that's possible. The, the other thing that bothered me just really quick, Nick, and then I'll to respond to you, then I'll Jay, I'll, I'll let you let you go. Uh, the, the reason that quote pissed me off so much is because earlier in the year when the Rangers were struggling on right wing with Sammy Blay being useless and, uh, you know, him not wanting to put Lafreniere over there, Kako kind of being the only real option, Barkley Goodrow all around the lineup. You know, he, he was asked about, you know, why he's shuffling the deck so much. He's like, well, I'd love to have a 30 goal scorer I could put on right wing, but I don't have that. Uh, so, so okay, you go from begging openly through the media for a 30 goal scorer, and now you go in front of the media after game seven and say, I want four checkers, which is it? This is just another piece of evidence to me that Gallant doesn't know what he wants the identity of this team to be. And how are you a head coach in the national hockey league, if you can't be consistent with that. So that's just my thought. Now that's why that quote pissed me off so much, Nick, but JL, what were you going to say? I was going to say you, you touched on it a little bit, you know, I, I Drury was probably PO'd because, you know, he gave him a championship roster on paper. Let's be real. We mentioned this before on paper, this team should be still playing right now. Yes. And, I could understand to a degree Drury's frustrations because he's like, here, I gave you this roster. Do something with it. You know, it's very short-sighted, a lot of the decisions he made with the lineup. And in and, and game six, I thought, you know, even going to the Garden, I thought they were going to lose that game. It's a lot of nervous energy to start because you looked at the lines and they were something was still off about them. It's like he do, it doesn't seem like Gallant knows exactly what he has in front of him. Mm-hmm. Because if you're trying to get a team that four checks, well, then maybe either put the kid line together or spread them out with the other lines as well. It makes no sense to put all those skill guys together and then complain that they're not four checking and then don't put the four checkers on the lines that need the four check. I mean, yeah, for well, sake, you say what you want about Alexi Lafreniere, but if there's one thing that the kid is good at is the kid knows how to forecheck. He does. Yeah, Kako too. Kako is their best yeah. board battle player, guy who can win possession in the corner and keep it. And he never played with Panarin. He he did not ever go back to the Criders Abanajad Kako line, which was the one of the best Unreal. lines in hockey. One of the best Unreal. lines in hockey too, by by scoring chances. By right. those, so, but like it's crazy. Uh, and 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 you you mentioned it too. It's you know I, I think he played uh, Kako, Kreider and Zabanajad. I remember there was a game against Florida, uh, right at the beginning of the year, and they were dynamite. They basically yep. Kako that line won the game. 
they did because Kako had a couple nice passes and I think he might have scored too, but he basically went down low, did the work, and Kreider's advantage had did the rest. And I just don't understand whether I don't know if he's doing this out of spite, you know. Why not continue to go with Laugh, Trocek, and Panarin? I thought that line was phenomenal. It was obviously it's good, it's gonna get mentioned a million times here, but that line was doing incredibly well to start the season, even though Trocek yep. was struggling. Was. So why not reunite that line when Trocek finally found his groove? I don't Trocek understand. Trocek wasn't even that. struggling. He just hit a post every fucking game. Yeah, I, but, you know, yeah, I, was yeah. And bad shooting luck. Right, and it, it ended up mounting together after a while, and he was playing very tight for a bit, but he finally was able to figure it out. And I know, and I know that you know, you know, I know you've mentioned this before, Dave. You say that you know, not really a big fan of Trocek, but I think Vincent Trocek is perfect for this team in some ways, and I think uh, that line was probably the best that we've seen them outside of a couple of spurts of like Kreider, uh, Kane, and Trocek, which I thought was really good, which I don't know why he went, he didn't go to that either. That I don't understand. Well. That did work. You're right. I don't, I, I never understood if Kreider, Trocek, and Kane didn't work. Why are we having to put Panarin back with Trocek now? I don't, I don't understand. It's like his, his decisions were baffling to me when it came to the line. So when you see him make that comment, oh, I, I can have talent, but I need four checkers. Well, dude, it's up to you to figure it out. Yep. Okay. Get the break kids up going. the fucking kids. Exactly, yes, that's break what up it was. Kids, and, and it was the he. I think he was also afraid to 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 make Kane a compliment, compliment, or he wasn't smart enough. Maybe, I, maybe I'm being too nice saying he was afraid. I don't think he was smart enough to see Patrick Kane as a complimentary piece, a guy who should have been third line, sheltered minutes, power play specialist type. You know, only nine or ten minutes even strength, but then he gets you know his extra three four minutes on the power play. First of all, with the bad hip, that would have made the most sense. You get him away from the other team's top players. And look, I thought Kane had some really nice flashes in the series. I know he 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 wasn't great, but I don't think he was awful. There was obviously a lot of you know sort of predetermined takes that he was the, the, the thing that brought the whole season down. Clearly he was not. Um, but he's a guy who is a complimentary piece now. Like you, you have to ignore. And I think the smartest coaches are able to ignore the pedigree and the past. Like it's not 2014, 2015, Patrick Kane, it's 2023 Patrick Kane. Who's 34 years old with a bad hip. All right. On a good night. Yeah. He can get you three points in a playoff game and look dynamic doing it. But he said in his breakup day interview, he was really banged up, you know, and he said if he felt more physically healthy, he he could have done more. So in the end, listen, I don't want to get to the questions, guys, but obviously we've had so much to talk about. Uh, it's this 70 percent of this failure falls at Galant's feet for me. I think the, the players definitely have a solid 30 percent of lack of effort, lack of attention to detail bad habits that kind of all of those things were, were manifesting throughout the season and sort of uh, were there left as kind of an untreated wound throughout the season. And then everything got infected in the playoffs to further the analogy, but that's 30% of it. I think with a good coach, players would have been motivated. The system would have been coherent and they would have beaten the New Jersey devils. Unfortunately that didn't happen. So um, any other final thoughts on that? Or do we just want to get to questions? Cause I'm sure we're going to have plenty more to discuss off the back of that. No I'm good to go to questions. Do it. Question time. All right. So we got a lot of good questions here. Some funny ones too, but uh, let's, let's get right to it. This goes, this comes from Marco at Shoeback 22. Uh, we just touched on this not too long ago. And he asks through four games, you thought Gallant coached well, question mark. I'll I say this. this is... No, no. Okay. 
I'll, I'll go because uh, I think this is directed at me. And I do want to definitely admit and own up to what I said last week on the show, which is that, yes, I, I said that even though the series was tied 2-2 and I was really disappointed, I was not laying any of the blame or very I was laying very little of the blame at Gerard Gallant's feet. And that was because the game plan for the first two games was really good and the team executed it. What happened clearly was that the Devils adjusted. Gallant never adjusted, nor did he motivate his players to, to rise to the occasion and to match the intensity of the Devils. And that was clear from kind of the beginning of game four on. So, yes, hand up. I said that. Put it on freezing cold, exp- old takes exposed, whatever that account is, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it was a bad take. Uh, although I will stand by. I think he I think the original game plan for the series was good. I think the adjustments were shit slash non-existent. So anyway, uh, Hold on. I'm going to defend you there, Rob, because this whole, you know, cold takes exposed thing. You know, it's funny, but this should have said at a point in time, at sure, that yeah. point in time, mm-hmm. what you just said was right. Gallant had a good Correct. strategy. The Rangers executed in games one, two, and three. They executed yes. that plan in game three. The Devils started to adjust. The Devils, you know, got a little lucky. Akira Schmid, who was getting, who at least got exposed in game one in Carolina already, had a great game. But game four is where the Rangers just were like, you know what? We're not going to adjust. We're going to continue doing this. They got absolutely crushed in game four. But still, games one, two, and three. They looked fine. It was an even series. At that point in time, he was fine. And I'm sick of this bullshit where you take one tweet or quote from four years ago and say, how'd that work out? Fuck you. All right. Yeah, so uh, this isn't this isn't a rant at Marco, by the way. Um, this isn't something at you. I just see this all the time where people are like, oh, you thought Patrick Kane was a great trade. Yeah, it was a fine trade for the cost. He was deployed wrong. The trade was fine. Was deployed wrong, like we spoke about. At a point in time is when these things matter. Stop looking at this shit. What after the Rangers no showed in games five and seven? Give me a fucking break. Sorry, Marco, not directly. Thanks, Dave. It feels good to have a friend. (laughs) No problem. It's just this shit just bothers me. It's like, oh, you said this four years ago. Fuck you. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. But hey, look. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, Jail. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say it's just it's just annoying because, you know, it forbid people are wrong on their takes and it's like or just wrong about things in the past and you learn from it as you move forward. You know, there there is new there is this thing called nuance in life. Things change. Nothing is linear. You know, we're not all AI bots we can predict and be right about everything. Yeah. And also, look, look at what we know now, right? We, we can look at the season in totality. We, we just learned through our Arthur Staple. Dave just related to us that during Galan or, or having a shouting match behind the scenes. Clearly, things were not good this year, right? Uh, and, it, and again, you look at not only the record and, and, the, and, and the, the game-by-game results. You look at the underlying metrics. You look at the individual performances. You look at Igor having half a bad season. Like, all these things are happening in real time as we talk about them through the season, but now we're reviewing an entire season. And I, I think it's totally fair to sort of put that hindsight lens on it. I mean, and, and hindsight is always 2020, but look in the end. Yes. Uh, Gerard Gallant coached a good three games in the series. Unfortunately, the next four games happened. So that's, that is what it is. 
Again, sorry, Marco. That wasn't directed at you. It's just, no, no, no. Uh, Thank I you see it question. all the time in my mentions. Like, oh, you said this. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. All right. Shall I move on to the next question? Mm-hmm. All right. Next question comes for our own Rob Luker. He asks, if you're Igor Shesterkin, who do you want to punch first? And before, before, before you guys answer that, someone replied to his tweet and said, "Tony D'Angelo, goalies stick together." Like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. Thank you very much, Brian, with a Y spelled W H Y. Thank you for that. At Simple Hockey Fan reply. That's right. The goal That's union a- must stay together. That's right. That is great. I love it. So, who does Igor punch first, guys? Is this who does he punch first on the Rangers, or is this in yes. general? Well, so. So no, if, it, if it's thinks, first, it's Timo Meyer. Well, yeah, yeah. like or Jack if, if Hughes. It's, yeah, it's Timo Meyer. No, Timo Meyer was basically trying to hump them all series. Well, it's either him or Heischer because every time Nico Heischer got around the blue paint, he somehow just fell on Igor. Yeah. Like that would be the other one. If if anybody, if if I was Igor and I had, if I got to choose who I'm hitting first, that's not a Ranger teammate. It's either Meyer or Heischer. And since he already punched Meyer, he might as well go after Heischer. But if it's a Ranger, man, ooh, that's a good one. If it's a Ranger, who? And it's got to be I a player. I, I want to add my own stipulation. It's got to be a player. It can't be Galant. Okay. It can't yeah, be Galant. Because that's too easy. If, if it's a Ranger, it's Artemi Panarin. He's got to hit his own his own comrade because to have two points and then go six straight games with no points and being a non-factor, he's got to get smacked. I'm sorry, he just must be smacked. I think you're right. I'll throw one that which I know won't be popular, and that certainly gives me no pleasure to say it. I, Keandre Miller was a train wreck. Oh, he's been a train wreck for the last. Answer. You know what? He's Fuck been, that. Mar- Marco, know, go back sorry. and harass Rob because Rob just don't <laughs> <have> an answer. <laughs> I, he um, was just so bad. And I I just hope it was a, not a sophomore slump, but, you know, a young players still figuring it out type of slump. And who knows if maybe he was banged up a little bit. Uh, I don't want to make excuses, but um, man, was he, he bad. Yeah, he was bad. Jack Hughes, though. It was terrible. It was like 95% of his minutes were against Jack Hughes, so. Sure, but he was so good last year against some really yeah. good players. And I get Sidney Crosby, shut down Crosby. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and also, you know, in ter- just, you know, he made so many of those plays last year, which were like eye popping defensive plays, right? Like those really sweet long reach poke checks and getting back on guys who, who looked like they had a step on him. We saw none of that, especially the second half of the year. He really fell off a cliff and, and his contract situation is super interesting because he scored a ton. He had 40 points as a defenseman, pretty much all at even strength. So that it bears a lot of watching. And that is unfortunately one guy that I don't think they're going to trade, but you know, certainly on the they're radar of a potential trade him. because that, that the, well, that'll the shake up the hard. room. That, that'll, make, that'll make everybody uncomfortable. Also, it also leaves you room to sign Lingren. For another deal, which again, bad idea, bad idea. But potentially, that, anyway. That, uh, yeah. So I do want to throw one thing out there: how uh, regarding Miller, how much of his struggles were because Truba was hurt all year? See, I, I, I don't, I, I don't like doing that because the, you Miller, you, you do, but Miller, Miller has had these kind of warts to his game. They've been there, 
but people like to focus on the Truba aspect, and I and I understand it. But it's also you have to look at the player and just isolate the player and watch how they play. Miller That's has ha, has 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 had these issues. This is not just a you know, it it it's not a blip. It it's almost a trend because they've been there, they've gone unnoticed, and I and I've gone on record in other spots saying where I felt the Rangers rushed him along. And, and I think part of it is his development was rushed. I thought he could have used a half a year or even a full year in Hartford, just playing top minutes, top penalty kill, top power play, top defensive pair, go against the best of the AHL, which I know is not the best of the NHL, but at least it gets you in those moments and prepares you. So I, there, there is there definitely is some worrisome things to Miller's game, for me anyway. I think it's fair, and I, you know what? It's he's very he's a he, he is he's actually very similar to Truba in the sense that you know he's one of those. Oh, are we going to get good Truba or bad Truba guy? Are we going to get good Miller, bad Miller? Like good Miller is unbelievable. And the second half of last season, I remember coming out of the bye week and and basically from early February right on through the end of the playoffs, he was one of their best players all around. I mean, that was a torrid four-month stretch of hockey, and I don't know that we've seen a young Ranger defenseman play that well, Adam Fox included. Uh, he was that good, but I, I agree with you, Nick, in the sense that outside of that four-month stretch, it's been a lot of good, bad, good, bad, and kind of leaning more bad. So um, anyway, I, I did want to give Dave, I did steal your answer before we move on to the next question, and JL as well. Do you guys have any Rangers to punch via Igor? Adam Fox. Ooh. I'm sorry. He Ooh. was terrible this series. He was. He was awful. And, 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 and I'll say that. And I and I'll say this. And, and I don't hate Fox. I really do like Fox. And he's going to be a franchise defenseman for years to come. Excuse me. Um, he was. He hasn't been. I mean, his numbers have been phenomenal this year, in the sense of you know really, you know, standing out in terms of you know defensive chances and all that. But the last, I don't know couple of months there's something off about his game and it was really exposed excuse me it was really oh, the hiccups are back um it was really <laughs> exposed um during this playoff series like the thing that got me upset oh the thing that got me upset in particular was um the first goal game seven Oh, that was hard and yeah. he he just held on to it if you look at the replay he had Mika open Mm-hmm. And he just didn't pass it, and he just held on to it. If I was at Igor Shesterkin, I'd be up, upset and getting hiccups too. You know, <laughs> trying to, you know, keep his team into the game and drops that bomb on him. So yeah, Adam Fox, hundred percent. I felt like that turnover kind of like summarized the season, though, didn't it? Like if one play, if, if there was one play that like encapsulated the entire Ranger season. Holding on, holding on, holding on. I'm going to try and do too much, and oh, we're going to give it away. Yep. Overthinking yep. it. Overthinking it big time. Not acting quick enough. Not confident in in the play that's in front of you, right? In the structure, it's true. So I want to throw one name out there. This I'm changing this. I'm saying this only because of what he just said regarding his hip. I'm going to go Patrick Kane. It mm-hmm. is clear so Kane is not the reason why the Rangers lost all right so we'll just eliminate that but he knew his hip was fucked 
and he still forced his way to the Rangers. And at a terrible time, too, when Miller got suspended, Lindgren was hurt, somebody else was hurt. I'm drawing a blank on who else was hurt. The Rangers were playing with like four skaters at any given moment (laughs) for the weeks leading up to and after the trade. And it kind of destroyed whatever momentum they had. March was awful. They looked horrible. They they won games, but they looked horrible. And that's all because Kane said, no, trade me to the Rangers and the Rangers only. So I don't know what happens. And this is a lot of what if-ism here. Or what about what's the phrase? Somebody help me out here with that. It's not what ifism, something to that effect. What about it? Yeah. What about ism? Like yep. So I would go him because without that, the Rangers make a trade for a true 4C. The kid line is broken up and they have a little bit more balance. And they're not trying to shoehorn a guy with who's 35 with one hip against a team that is literally skating circles around him. I like it. Great answers all, all across the board. All right, let's go. Next question. Okay. Next question comes from at Larry Bubs. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm sorry guys. <laughs> um, he asked who dictates style of play organization from the top players, coach seems there needs to be a philosophy changed thoughts. Good question. I, I love this question and uh, I'll just jump right in. This is something that uh, the best organizations have. They, they have, you know, to use a horribly corporate term, but it's something you hear now even in sports, right? They have like vertical alignment, right? Throughout the whole organization where, and I mean that in terms of from your drafting and developing to your minor league affiliated clubs, you know, to, to your relationships with colleges, right? And, and across scouting, you are focusing in on certain types of players, that can fit into your pro club eventually. This is how the best soccer teams in the world are run. They are global operations that have, and, and they are, you know, it works differently there. They're, you know, in Europe, especially, there's no draft or anything like that. But you've got, they're scouting kids as young as 11 years old, right? They come into academy systems and right down from those levels all the way up to the best top, the top level at the, in the best leagues in the world, they're all playing the same type of system, right? Barcelona is famous for this. There are club-wide, organization-wide philosophies. So it should come from the top. What I said before about Gerard Gallant is true. He does not have an identity. And and a head coach needs to establish an identity. But that does need to be done in concert with management, front office, ownership. And I think this is one thing that Chris Drury, if he's going to become a truly great executive, I think needs to learn is not only – can I get the best talent, which is not that hard as Ranger GM. If you have the cap space, pretty much everybody wants to come here. Um, but what type of talent am I prioritizing? What type of style do we want to play? And look, you have to be malleable because times change. You know, uh, Obviously, what worked in 2010 is not going to work in 2020. What worked in 1998 is not going to work now. But you have to have consistency and, and an approach. And I think one of the things, and look, I... I'm on record as being totally okay with the JD decision, the the decision to fire John Davidson and Jeff Corton. But I think JD was trying to build something like that. I think he had a much more close, a closer eye on Hartford. He was looking to improve the club's infrastructure across the board. You know, he was looking to make kind of those deep, uh, you know, hockey ops decisions 
as opposed to what I, Chris Drury looks like he's on a one year mission each year to win the Stanley cup. And every year is different. And I think as, as fun as that can be, and you kind of know you'll be contending, that's also really not a sustainable way to approach it. So I love that question. So thanks Larry. And, and I don't know, you know, if you guys also have thoughts, but I think it comes from the top. So I'm going to jump in here because there's another, I'm looking at the responses. There's another very similar question from Alex about Galant stay or go, you know, uh, at Bronx 2216, give a thorough analysis and in-game tactics adjustments is something that he brought up. That, so what Rob, what you said is a thousand percent right. Drury needs to figure out what he wants this team to be. Make sure he's aligned with his coach, with his scouting staff, with his analytics department. Make sure Glenn Sather has bought in. Make sure he can sell it to James Dolan. All that stuff, top down. But in game, that is something that is head coach and assistant coaches telling the players, hey, what the Devils did. I'll use the Devils as an example. Devils went from a very aggressive forecheck in the first two games to sitting back in a 1-2-2 trap. Once the Rangers broke through on that, the Devils shifted again to an extremely, um, an even more aggressive form of the 1-2-2 where they had three guys in around the dots. And that's what we saw in game seven. And it completely wrecked the Rangers. Those in-game adjustments are coach down, not necessarily exec level down. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different silos here, and the Rangers have none of them. It's just a fucking free for all. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, I, I'm 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 in a in a twofold scenario where there has to be the organizational philosophy, and then it has to be what goes on in game behind the bench, and that's where coaches are able to make in game adjustments to. You know, to win a game, to do what they need to do to win a game. So it's it's one of those things where you have to have the organization, kind of like Tampa Bay. I, like I think Tampa Bay is the perfect model for the Rangers. When you look at Tampa, there's a reason why Tampa can lose star players and lose Blake Coleman and lose Barkley Goodrow, lose Yanni Gord. Okay, no problem. Anthony Sorelli, come on down. Ross Colton, come on down. They, uh, as uh, Matthew Esamont, who played, who, who scored a big goal, uh, this postseason for Tampa Bay. Like, there's a reason why they're able to plug and play. It's because their organization has a standard throughout. This is what we look for when we scout. This is the type of players that work in our system. This is how we're going to teach them to play. This is how we're going to develop them. The Rangers don't have that cohesiveness. So, it, it, it's for, for the Rangers to have sustained success it'll be building that organizational model that Tampa Bay has in place to be able to just say, okay, this is how we're and, – and that's something that they have to look at because when you have the issues that we've had with developing our young talent, the Alexi Lafreniere, the Capricacos, the Vitaly Krasovs, Leas Anderson, I mean, the list goes – Philip Heedle is actually an anomaly that he's starting to work out. So it's, it, it, it's one of those where the Rangers have to look at their drafting and develop, development. Because right now, organizationally, it sucks. Well, that's such a great point about development too, Nick, because wouldn't it be so much easier to develop these guys in a coherent system, right? So Lafreniere comes in, you know, and obviously, look, you're, 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 you're not going to um, not 
pick a, a guy first overall who was consensus first overall if he's not a fit for your system, right? That's like one of the biggest mistakes you could possibly make. But at least you'd be bringing him into a program that has an established culture, way of playing, and you could just say, this is what you do here, and we're going to let you grow in these areas. We're going to let you freelance in these areas. But give that, give him a path and give him some real guidance. You know, look, they, they're, they're really just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. So, um, look, I, this is the next step for Drury, right? I think his player acquisition has been pretty much spot on. We can debate the Patrick Kane trade, but it's a movie had to make. Um, I, I think the next step is can you instill a culture and kind of build that, that Tampa model? I agree. That's a great point, Nick. All right, JL, what's the next uh, question? All right. Next question comes from at Alex 17 at Alex 17 at Alex 18. Excuse me. Oh, gosh. And he asks, do you think it was a mistake to send off grip players like Revo, Gauthier, and Blaze? And would those guys have made a difference? Nope. Absolutely not. Not a mistake. It would not have made a difference. Period. Sorry. I look, I look at it this way. Maybe not an all-nice difference, but I think there was a difference in mentality once Revo got shipped to Minnesota. There, there, there's something to be said for me about guys like that that are blue guys, that are presence in the locker room. You know, before Reeves got here, there was a mentality about this team that they couldn't fight back, they weren't mentally tough. And then Reeves comes, and then it felt like last year they were never out of any game or any situation. You always felt like there was heart, there was effort. There, you always felt like you had a puncher's chance at least. Then after Reeves left, it kind of felt like the balance got thrown off. Now again, I don't think it makes a difference, you know, on the statute, but I, I do think there is something in the room because when you look at Barkley Goodrell fighting Kevin Ball, Goodrell really did try to spark the team. He oh, and yeah. it almost it almost felt like he went out of his way to do something because Goodrow is tough, but he's not a fighter. So it, it, it was like Goodrow was going out of his comfort zone to really try and spark the team. So I do think there was something about moving on from Revo, and I get it, cap circumstance for cap reasons they had to do it, but I think that was a bigger loss than what people really want to think or, you know, will will let on. Well, I, I think, yeah, I also think that Revo aside you need to have the right mix in any locker room from a personality and a chemistry standpoint because and this is especially true with a guy like Gerard Galanis head coach who is very hands-on I mean like Barkley Goodrow literally said today again not exactly a ringing endorsement of a head coach but he said hey kind of lets you do your thing that was a that is a direct quote you could look that up you need strong locker room presences you need guys in there that kind of can keep it light but also keep people motivated make guys feel like the energy is always good and you just need a good mix. You know, I think, and I think, you know, look, it's, it's, I love the Kreider and Zabanajad bromance. I think that's, that's a really fun, you know, stuff to see on social media on a, on a cold dreary day in January. Uh, you know, the Fox and Lindgren stuff, Keandre Miller's a good vibes guy with the suits and when he's playing well, but like, you know, when it comes down to business and when it comes down to like getting through adversity and all right, are we really going to let our season die here in fucking Newark? Yeah, you probably wanted a little bit of that Revo-type presence. Now, again, I agree. Look, he's a net negative on the ice. We know that. J- Sammy Blay was a zero. Uh, he obviously went to St. Louis and scored a bunch of goals on a bad team. We'll see if that's sustainable next year. He it shot 30%. What was that? 
He shot 30%. Yeah. Well, that's not sustainable. Right. But we know, you know, look, could he be a 20 goal guy, which is what I think Chris Drury thought his ceiling might be, which is why he made that trade in the first place. Th- that remains to be seen. Gautier was, I think a little bit of a space cadet in terms of his play, which is why he never got consistent minutes. The speed would have been nice from an on ice perspective because the Rangers got slower as the year went on, adding Tarasenko and Kane and Mikola, none of them burners. So, I mean, look, it's it's a mix, and I, I would I think it's easy to you know say now, but but it's clear the mix wasn't right this year. All right, JL, any anything to add, or do you want to go to the next one? Because I know we're uh... no, you guys are you guys are right on the money with it. I agree with you guys a hundred percent. So this next question comes from our own friend Tyler McGillick, who is beginning his Entourage rewatch, or his first Entourage watch. He asks, discuss the most chaotic New York Rangers offseason you can think of. Firings, hirings, not hiccups, trades, and free agency. I don't know how this is anything other than the chaos that was Gordon and JD getting fired, Drury being promoted, that first Bushnevich trade, and then everything that wound, everything that led to the the Rangers making a run to the Eastern Conference Final. <laughs> right. <laughs> like all, all the we went from in a calendar year going from what the fuck did this club just do to uh, summoning the devil and saying why not us for an Eastern Conference <laughs> Final run? I, it's so true. I mean, look. Trading Artemi Panarin would be earth-shattering stuff because those trades just don't happen in the NHL. Well, I say that, and Matthew Kachuk got traded for Jonathan Huberto, and that was a that was a mega trade. That was an NBA-style trade that happened in the NHL, which, as a neutral fan, if my team's not involved, I love it. Obviously, if my team is involved, it depends what I'm sending and what I'm getting back. Um, I find it fascinating that there's essentially no market for Artemi Panarin, who is like eighth in the league in scoring over the last seven or eight years or whatever since he entered the league. Um, I understand it's a big cap hit, but again, you know, sure. They'd have to send a really damn good player our way. Right. And, and maybe that, you know, again, these trades happen in other leagues all the time. The NFL is not really a trading, you know, a a trader's paradise. You know, that's, that's just a different beast, but you think of the NBA, even major league baseball from time to time, you have superstar trades happen and they're very, very rare in the NHL. To me, if you're looking for chaos, it's a Panarin trade. If you're looking for a few quite a few degrees uh less but still slightly chaotic one of the kids and i mean lafreniere or keandre miller goes into trade for a relatively decent player coming back but i think there's so few possibilities there with the exception of lafreniere to either montreal or winnipeg um which i think the rangers might take some calls on but i don't think they'll be in a rush to move a guy who is not going to make that much money and still is going to put in 18 goals and 20 assists so uh they might just choose to say the. i think they'll probably just choose to stay the course there um, I don't know about you, Nick. You want chaos? I, I mean, look, I, Joker is in my is in my Twitter handle, so we all know I am an agent of chaos. So, look, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I don't want it. I don't want to see it. But we are a Joel Quinville hiring, a Patrick Kane extension, an Alexi Lafreniere trade away from just utter and complete chaos and mayhem and people storming the garden i mean it as much as i would hate seeing quindle brought in the reactions would be kind of amazing i mean it would just and, and if and 
you oh, know if they br- oh yeah you know if they bring in Quinville, Patrick Kane is signing an extension because that's his guy. Absolutely loves Q. So I mean, you you compound possibly the two most hated people on Twitter on hockey Twitter, and they're both going to be Rangers, and then you trade the wholesome Alexi Lafreniere away. Oh my God! Total and complete anarchy. No, you want to let's add some anarchy to this. Kane signs with Buffalo, and then the Kane signs with Buffalo July third, and Quenville gets reinstated August fifteenth. What happens? Patrick Kane demands a trade back to the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> he or he his hip starts acting up again before he has surgery, and he fails his physical. Oh Christ! Right. <laughs> Good grief. Lafreniere to Buffalo for Kane. Is that what is that what you're insinuating? Oh, for f- oh, Rob, really? Come on. Hey, wait a second. They couldn't even get Lafreniere for Eichel, and we're going to trade him for broken down Patrick Kane. Oh, absolutely. That is that no is chance. so Ranger. That no, that is so Rangers that it hurts. Oh it is. my it's true. Very that, that is, Rangers. Yes, that is Sergey Zubov for Ulf Samuelson right there. <laughs> no, that that's Mark Messier. That one, the second coming, the second coming. Yeah, that's yeah. the uh, yeah. That would what be would chaos. Be real, what would be real chaos? Panarin and Lafreniere to Vancouver for Pedersen. <laughs> oh, but would God. people be mad about that? I mean, no, probably Vancouver because no. they're angry about everything. But yeah, exactly. But I, I think I think there'll be some Ranger fans that would com- complain about that. Dude, I would be throwing a parade down Seventh Avenue. Yeah, you and me both. It- I'll have my Pedersen jersey customized already. Pedersen's a center, right? Though I mean, they, so they they'd have four. He can play wing four- too. He can yeah, play wing. he can play wing. You could put anybody except Heedle on wing, and it'll be fine. Let's see. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm fifty fifty on the chaos factor for this offseason. I do think there might be a little bit of staying the course and. You know, when cooler heads prevail, that might be the way to go. They definitely need tweaks. They definitely need to just all look at themselves in the mirror, really, and, and decide how to not have this type of season happen again. But good question, nonetheless, from Tyler. So let's go to the next one. All right. Oh, excuse me. Next question comes from at Coco Costanza. If we are entertaining a winger being traded, is it a crazy idea to think about slotting Heedle to right wing? He's fast, skilled, likes to shoot. And is under and is under contract. This would open it up to go after a big C for a better one-two punch. Would Heedle able to slot back in the C spot if necessary? I'm kind of kind of goes into my whole Pedersen. So, well, no, I agree with you. Yeah, I I think Heedle's a center, though. That's my final answer. Yeah, we've tried Heedle at wing; it doesn't work. And then, plus, with all the money you've already invested down the middle, with because Sartek's here for the long haul, you're not getting rid of him. Mika's here for the long haul, can't move. It it, it doesn't make sense. I, that that to me, if you're moving a winger, it's left from here. Yeah, I'm don't all for, I'm put for Heedle. keeping Heedle on wing. Yeah, I'm off on yeah. center. I mean, sorry. Yeah, center depth wins, guys. I mean, uh, we tried the. You guys said it. We tried Heedle at wing. It doesn't work. There is so much more to center. Then and this isn't what the question said, but I see this all the time. Heedle can't win faceoffs, which he won sixty percent in the series, by the way. Um, wow! But yeah, I that came up in my mentions, and I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, 
Heedle's a center. It's not just faceoffs. He does a lot of little things within the system that work. And, you know, he signed to what? Four, what was that contract? Four and a half million, something like that? Yeah. Yep. He's, he's going to be your 2C next year at some point. 4.5, yeah. So he's going to be your 2C next year. So why not just give him more ice time, which is the bigger issue? Put him with Panarin and insert right winger here, and Hedl will produce a monster year. He's I, will, I will say when he did play with Panarin in game six, that was actually one of the bright spots. He looked well, great. It's another thing about Panarin, which, you know, kind of drives me nuts is there's been a lot of rumblings about him being very, very vocal about who he wants his line mates to be. Um, and he, I, I've heard he doesn't want to play with Heedle. He doesn't want to play with Kako because Kako has the puck too much. Uh, I think he'd prefer to play with the distributor. Heedle's much more of a, of a, of a carrier and a finisher. Um, you know, P- Panarin's just, and when I say distributor, I mean someone who will literally pass him the puck on the wing. Uh, and then, you know, do what Ryan Strom did, which is like, you know, support him and then get open. Um, Heedle's just a little bit more of a puck dominant player. I, I don't know. I think it would work. Um, and I think Panera needs to be put in his place by a coach who's willing to do it and say, no, you're going to play with who I tell you to play with. And it's going to work out great for everybody. Uh, you know, so anyway, this is just one, again, the trials and tribulations of Panarin who you got to perform in the playoffs. If you're going to be a guy who's demanding line mates, oh, that's all I'll say about that. Yep, I'm I'm inclined yep. to agree. Good, so. good finishing sentence on that. <laughs> yes, yep. I like thank that. you, thank you, Robert. My pleasure. All right. Next question. So, uh, Dave answered basically uh, Bronx two two one six's question. So mm-hmm. I'll move on to the next one. This comes this comes from Kevin at Spozo two one one, and he says during the post game of the helmet throw game, Truba told the media. He needed to be careful with what he said when he was questioned about the team's energy and willingness to compete for each other. And then he asks, do you think there is a problem in the locker room? The mix isn't gonna... right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Nick. Uh, um, no, like, I mean, Rob, you said the mix isn't right. And it's evident by a first round exit and a no show in a game seven. There's something wrong. The fact that this team needed to publicly be shown up in the helmet toss game to get them going, to, to show some life. The fact that Igor then in game five makes a save, TV timeout, goes directly, makes a bad line to the bench to yell at the team. The last time I remember seeing that was, what was it, the 2017 season where Hank uh, was going in because I forgot. I, I think it was Georgie January who, 2018 against the Islanders. I will never forget that game because I was there. Where where Hank literally had to start coaching the team from from the ice. I mean, it was one of the most embarrassing things I've seen in so long. So it's like clearly there's something not right with the room. Whether it's you know, the guys were upset about the gymnastics that they had to go through to get Patrick Kane, which, look, they said all the right things. Patrick Kane's an idol. We grew up watching him. We love him, yada, yada, yada. You know players had to be pissed that they had to put themselves in jeopardy, you know, to to try and fit this guy in. It, mm-hmm. it just it, – it's inherent. It, it's a natural thing with, you know, with an athlete. Athletes have egos. Sorry. Even hockey players – the you know where the the team's supposed to be bigger than than the person, 
Guys still have egos. They still know what time it is. So you can't tell me that guys were happy about the stuff that they had to do to get Patrick Kane. No, there, there's definitely something wrong in that room. It's very, very clear. Yeah, well, Dave, we talked about this early in the year, too. There was certainly a lot of smoke around Lafreniere in particular, not taking things oh, seriously yeah. enough at all, which I think is probably one of the guys Truba was was referring to in that quote. You know, that's twice now you've taken my fucking answer. <laughs> well, go ahead. You, you you run with it. No, no. You, that's basically what I was going to say. We, we have been talking about Lafreniere and the issues that had been – not issues, the – rumors that have been swirling about his work ethic and his attitude. And I'm 99% sure Trubo was at least targeting him and probably others that were feeding off him. I don't know who his friends are on the team, but I would go Sammy with Blake. You. Could have been Blay I mean, at the time. Could have yeah. Been Blay, I mean, yeah. he, he seems like a pretty well liked Lafreniere, but also, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell, you know, we're, we're, you look at these guys do their little handshakes after wins and everybody looks like best friends. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I mean, well, Tony I think, D'Angelo look, was well-liked apparently. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, Georgia I mean, blocked him in the face. <laughs> look on one hand, that was a moment in time, right? That things were not going well. And I think things probably got better when they started winning. Cause that always helps. But I, I think again, you, you, the, the, when you, when a team is as disjointed and, you know, low on energy, I don't want to use the other E-word effort, but low on energy as they were in in for large portions of this series. That to me is an indication that, you know, they're not playing for one another. Like a team that is really together will bust their ass if for no other reason than like, I really care about and respect everybody else in this locker room. And it is my responsibility to do my job for that, right? Because, and that's like a classic athlete motivational thing, but it's true, right? You play for the guys around you, right? You know, you play for the fans, but you don't know the fans. That's just background noise when you're in the game. You know, you, yeah, you play for the crest on the front of the jersey. But like, you know, again, all you, you play for six teams throughout your career. So what does that really mean? It's about the bonds you've forged in the, in the locker room. And what is how does that manifest on the ice? This team made it so far last year, in part because the chemistry was good. I mean, we vote, we, we, we joked about vibes the entire year. But there was truth to it. And I think this year, guys, the vibes were off the whole time. I mean, other than the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, you know, and then maybe a little bit after they got Tarasenko, I think that that helped. I think he was a good fit and he played really well right off the bat. And that felt like the right move. Mikola kind of, you know, uh, short up the defense. I think, you know, again, Patrick Kane, not as an individual, but the but all of the machinations that you refer to, Nick, and then the lack of management by the coaching staff to really fit Kane in in the right way. That killed the vibe as well. There was just no momentum after that trade was made. Absolutely on the money. And you, you could tell throughout the year that you know, even even the previous season, uh, during the regular season, as the team was, you know, going through going through even before the the the, the cop and Vetrano trades, is is that they were they were a cohesive unit. They were yeah. just there were times this year I saw the Rangers and they just looked, I don't want to say disinterested, but something was definitely off in the sense of what they're trying to achieve. And they, they looked a lot better. Like you said, after getting Tarasenko and I just, I just think that, you know, you add in a guy like a Patrick Kane who, excuse me, to be fair, doesn't exactly 
fit the style that the Rangers were playing. And then you can add in, obviously, you know, losing Reeves and uh, excuse me. Oh, gosh, I mean, you guys are getting a fun one out of this. Uh, not having that type of guy, you know, be kind of like that, you know, guy in the clubhouse to kind of shore things together. And 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 when they traded him to Minnesota, you know, Minnesota's no barn burner by any means, but that team did get a bit a bit better. And more cohesive, you know. Oh yeah, they got the Revo. They got the Revo bump. They definitely they, did. They got yep. the Revo bump, and and so now it's it's going to be up to the Rangers to try and find somebody that can kind of mend it together. And I'll use a baseball example, real quick, because I you know we have one we have one more comment, and then we're done with the questions. So in 2021, the Mets were a mess, and there was a lot of infighting in the locker room, whether it was Jacob Degrom. Marcus Stroman, Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor. There was a lot of issues in the clubhouse, and Luis Rojas, the manager at the time, didn't know how to deal with it. Mets trade for Javi Baez, and all of a sudden, they start winning games consistently. Apparently, Baez was sort of taking a lead with Lindor in the room to kind of shore things together, and that kind of, you know, they didn't make the playoffs that year. But they definitely did had a strong stretch towards the end of the year, bringing a guy like that in. So you you lose a guy like that, and 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 I want to know where I'm trying to figure out where I read this, but there's somebody that I know on a website on a Mets Mets forum that has a, a Florida Panthers connections, and I think he works with them in some in some form or another. And uh, oh, excuse me, and uh, he knows he hears a lot from like you know different people in the league, and he noted that the Rangers leadership is outside outside of like Truba is like very quiet. You know, you have very Mm -hmm. unassuming guys like Panarin, Mm -hmm. like Mika, like Kreider in in some aspect who will not necessarily take charge. I mean, they lead by example in terms of their play, but like with Truba, he was really the only one that would vocally go out on the ice and off the ice to kind of make a statement. So there's some truth to that. Yeah. I think, that's a great point. Kreider and Zibanejad especially are very unassuming, introspective athletes, especially, you know, they're smart guys. You could tell they are, you know, kind of like well-read, interesting people off the ice, especially Kreider, but you know, the, they're introspective and they get in their own heads a lot. And that's, you know, again, like you said, they lead by example, but there is a gap there there. I think they do miss a little bit of that motivating glue guy type of thing. And look, we're, we're looking at Barkley Goodrow as a guy who might definitely be a cap casualty this, this off season. You're subtracting another glue guy if you do that. And look, and, and it, it's probably necessary and I'm not going to uh, fight it because I think it's needed for cap space, but at the same time, how are you replacing it? It's something to consider. So, all right, last question. Uh, hopefully if everyone's stuck with us through the hour and 34 minutes, we've been podcasting. We got one more question. Then we'll be done with this mega mega show here uh, uh this week's episode of live from the booth well this is more of a comment this is from e galleon 27 and eric says we lost because of panarin again 11 and a half mil and he's the worst guy on the ice no one is winning a seven game series like that so answer that yes that is true it's not all on panarin but he's definitely one of the bigger reasons why if yeah. he was just average we win <laughs> yeah pretty much Yeah. I mean, what a great way to end the show, right? Because we've talked about him on and off throughout, but 
it's as simple as that. You look around the league, everybody else's stars are coming up with huge, huge goals. You know, Austin Matthews did it a bunch, you know, John Tavares gets the, gets the clincher for the Leafs. Their first series win in two decades. You look at the way, uh, you know, Boston was hampered by missing Bergeron who got hurt in game 82. Unbelievably frustrating. If you're a Bruins fan, um, it's the stars, the stars direct you. Hockey is a, is a strong link game. Uh, to use the technical term, it, you need your top guys to be your top guys. And Dave, you wrote about this and I'll, I'll segue to you. If the, if the Rangers fail, it's because the stars failed them. And other than Chris Kreider, that was the case. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And it, it, when we say stars, we're talking about Kreider, Zibanejad, Panarin, Fox. Yep. Shesterkin. Yep. Shesterkin, Kreider showed up. The other guys didn't. And I am trying to find a realistic trade scenario where Panarin says, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it to a GM that wants him to a team that can fit him. And Montreal seems to fit all of those in a deal that I just wanted to throw that out there. Would you guys be upset if it was Panarin in a deal centered around Kirby Dak? Oh, I would take that a hundred percent. Every of the day, all of the days, I would I would do it. Absolutely. And before Montreal fans jump down my throat, you're getting Artemi fucking Panarin. <laughs> yeah, he, he's no slouch in the regular season. The guy could still get you 100 points yeah. a year. It's not the problem. Yeah, you know, you and, and that would him be... to Nick Suzuki. Good Lord. Yeah, and, and see, that's the thing that would kill me is that, I mean, I'm hoping. Oh, my God, and Cole Caulfield on that line. Oh, please. Don't <laughs> oh, even get Christ. On that. <laughs> This is my oh, thing with see, Panarin. I'd be I'd be begging for Caulfield as part of the return. Yeah, no, you're not getting yeah. Caulfield. You're getting no. you got, you're, first you're, off, Montreal has to dump salary in that. So Dax you're not getting him. You're not getting him. Getting him, but that's got to be like a sticking point. That's got to be one of those guys that if you're Drew, you're pounding the table for. Because you let's because, come back to reality. Well, Kirby look, Dak just, is the reality. Well, look, Caulfield's not this. going in that. I'll just I'll just say this if, if it comes to a trip to Heron trade. I want the Rangers to find a guy to play with him before we ship him off because it could be just you it's probably gonna be the most unassuming signing that will end up becoming his trigger to become good in the playoffs. Because if you take a look at Jesper Faust, for example, Jesper Faust was the that Faust Strom Panarin line was probably one of the better lines I've seen on TV and in person because Faust had the ability to distribute the puck to Panarin. And that's what confuses me about his unwillingness to play with Kako because Kako is essentially the finished version of Faust with more skill. So but that's Fa- what. But Kako needs to hold the puck though. Still, he's gotten good at that. He's gotten he's gotten a lot better. I think he's got to get rid of it on time. Is his thing? He overholds. He overhandles. But yeah, that's the thing. He likes he likes to hold on to it. He likes to be puck dominant. And Panarin wants everything to go through him. So I I think the key. Sorry, JL. I the key for Panarin for me is they have to get that hard ass disciplinarian coach that will put him and in line and hold him accountable. When he had John Tortorella. No issues because you knew where the line was with Tortorella and you're not crossing it. So with with Gallant being a player's coach, that, you know, it strokes Panarin's ego. He's the cat's meow. So it's like before, because the the one thing I don't want to, I don't want to trade him 
and then he goes somewhere and it turns into Marion Gabrick playing with Andre Kopitar. And because Kopitar is a legit first line center who opens ice for Gabrick, oh my God, look what Gabrick does in the playoffs. So it's like you don't want that mistake. So it's like you need that hard ass disciplinarian that'll hold Panarin in check. And then if it doesn't work again, okay, three strikes, you're out. Yeah, I think it's coaching as well. And and I, obviously, I think it's a long shot that he would get traded. You know, like you said, Dave, just very few fits out there in terms of trading partners, cap space, assets the Rangers would want back, teams that would be willing to trade them those assets. Just doesn't happen in the NHL. The GMs are too risk averse. To me, it's coaching. It's you need a guy who, as, as you put it perfectly, Nick, Tortorella did a great job with him. He was dynamic. He was great in the playoffs for Columbus. They obviously swept Tampa. Panarin was a huge part of it. I mean, he was the best player on the ice, guys. I mean, did you? I watched that series in 2019. Yep, he was the, their best player. And 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 th- when the Rangers got him the next season, the, the 19-20 season, I was like, holy, this is perfect. This is the guy. They're getting him off of a torrid season and a great playoff run, and he's going to come here and be the centerpiece, the superstar player that this team needs. And he's been that in the regular season. The guy's dynamic. I thought he had a really good regular season this year after I thought he was p- pretty pedestrian last year, but it didn't show up in the playoffs. And that is a huge reason why they lost. So um, I think we're just about done here. It's been, a, been a really fun uh, pod. It's been a really great uh, season. Of course, you know, obviously it didn't go the way we wanted, but it was always fun to talk about. Um, we will be continuing the the pods. And of course the, the content on blue seat blogs, throughout the off season, especially when things pick up with the draft and free agency in June, we're probably going to scale back the pods to once every couple of weeks, at least for a little while. Uh, but if news pops, a la a Gerard Gallant firing and a Joel Quinville hiring, we'll definitely do emergency pods and Twitter spaces, et cetera, to, uh, to cover all that. So uh, JL, Dave, Nick, any quick uh, 10 second final thoughts from any of you? Um, I'll just say it was a disappointing end to a very weird but kind of successful season. This team still has a lot of talent. They just need to tool it. And I'm with Nick in the sense of don't need to make major changes. And I think they'll be fine. Coaching change or not, we'll see. Just say no to Coinville. Daryl Sutter all the way. Yes, that too. And then, uh, no, it it just, you know, it's always eventful. If, If nothing else, it's always... They always keep you on your toes, and and I just want to say thank you, guys. Um, Dave, thank you for uh, uh, bringing me on. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on the pod. It, it's been it's been really fun. I, I've really enjoyed it. It's our pleasure to have you, Nick. And already, you know, two pods, three, four posts already. Great, great addition to the team here. So, no, thank, thank you, you for you know reaching out and saying you wanted to come on board. That's all I got. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. It's been an awesome season. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll talk to you then.